Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, president and founder of Truth Matters Ministries. What a wonderful day that the Lord has made, and he told us to rejoice and be glad in it, and we're just so glad that we're able to be host and to be attendants of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that has once and for all been delivered unto the saints. And we've been going through a series entitled The Watchtower, Full of Darkness. If there's ever been a time where it's so important that the truth be proclaimed and be defended, I believe it's today. There are so many people who are being destroyed because of lack of knowledge and who are being blinded and are being led as sheep to the slaughter because of deception and lies of so many what we call aberrant theological constructs. And today we're just so thankful for you attending and tuning into this Truth Matters podcast. And before we get into our teaching today, we want to just pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you for another day. We give your name praise because you watched over us last night. Lord, you gave us another opportunity to fulfill our purpose, another opportunity to be an instrument in your hand, to share these truths and to be, Lord God, an oracle, to be a mouth, please, that we might be able to share the truth of your word that will fall upon good ground in the earth. We thank you for everyone today who are struggling, those who are walking in darkness, those who've been deceived and have been ravished by the sabotage of Watchtower theology, those who don't know you in the pardon of their sins, who don't know you, Lord Jesus Christ, as the lover and the savior of their souls. Lord, just pull back every deceptive lie, every layer of error. Let it be exposed today. Let men see your marvelous light. Let them walk in your light today. Let your word prevail. We stand upon your promises. We stand upon your covenant. We thank you today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we're so mindful of the words that were spoken by Patrick Fitzgerald, who was a lead prosecuting attorney in the infamous Scooter Libby trial. He said that truth is the engine of our country's justice system. And he says without truth, he says we don't have anything. So true are the words of Sharakaya. He said, the earth is supported by the power of truth. All things, they rest on truth. And Benjamin Franklin said it so succinctly. He said, half a truth is nothing more than a great lie. And today in this Truth Matters podcast, we want to share the truth that so many might walk out of darkness. And we want to just thank God for all of our partners in Singapore, those who are in Ghana. Our podcasts are being now listened to and heard in Australia, throughout Germany, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, and Ireland, Canada, and throughout these United States. And we're just so delighted that the word is able to reach so many people who need to hear the truth of God's word. And we've been going through a particular segment of our exposition and teaching on the Watchtower, which is which is nothing but a full, it's so full of darkness. And we've been going through this portion entitled the Trinity because the doctrine of God and the doctrine and whatever your theology is around God is really the centerpiece and it really gives the foundational <clears throat> uh, understanding of where an organization or person falls on their relationship with God and 
As we continue on, we're going to look at Colossians 2 and 9. Colossians 2 and 9 says something that's so important. It says, For in him Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, the literal translation of the word Godhead, which is Theotitos, is deity. What is deity? It means of God or of the God type. So in Christ, all the fullness of the God type or God dwells in the flesh. So everything, the fullness of God, everything that God is dwells in flesh. And there, in his Greek English lexicon of the New Testament, which is which the Watchtower calls comprehensive, it gives a complete analysis of Theotitos. See, Jehovah's Witnesses can't forget that Theor was a Unitarian. He also denied the Trinity, as, as they deny the Trinity. So he did not have a slanted or prejudiced or partial viewpoint, but he was just giving scholastic scholarship to his work. Listen to what he said. However, there, even though he opposes the Trinity, he would not prejudice his scholastic integrity to the languages that prevail. Listen to what Thayer stated. He said that Theotitos, Godhead deity, is a form of Theos or deity, or in his own words, the state of being God. In other words, Christ was the fullness of the deity, Jehovah, or God in the flesh. The emphatic diaglot correctly translates Theotitos deity. But the New World Translations, which possesses no Greek scholars, renders it the divine quality. And by rendering it the divine quality, they just essentially rob Christ of his true deity. But see, Thea rebuffs the New World Translation by explaining that Theot, deity, differs from theot or divinity as essence differs from quality. So how do we sum this up? What have we unpackaged here? What we've unpackaged is is that Theo, Thayer, who did not believe in the Trinity, but lending his scholastic skill and integrity, he could conclude it that Theot in Colossians 2 and 9 and Theotitos, which means deity or the fullness of God or all that God is, dwelt in Jesus Christ. Let's look at John 5.18. It tells us that he said God was his father. Who said God was his father? Jesus said God was his father. And by saying that God was his father, he was making himself equal with God. See, the Greek term isom, equal, can't be debated, nor is it contextually or grammatically allowable that John is merely recording what the Jews said about Jesus. As so many in the Watchtower regrettably argue, they, they argue, oh, he was just giving a blow-by-blow blow of what Jesus said. But listen, the sentence structure clearly demonstrates John said it. In the Jewish mind, claiming to be the Son of God means equality with God. Say that again, Pastor Adams. In the Jewish mind, 
anyone who claimed to be the son of God, they're essentially saying that they're equal with God. See, the watchtower fails to understand that being the son does not constitute inferiority of nature or class. What do I mean? If a human has a son, is the son less than human? I'm going to ask that question again. If a human being has a son, is the son less than human? No, of course not. The son is of the same nature, the same essence and substance as the father. The Watchtower uses the narrow argument that Jesus, being the son of God, indicates that all Jesus was was just the son. But before he was called Jesus, he was also known as what? The eternal word, equal with God the Father. I remember I had some Jehovah Witnesses come to my home here in Georgia uh, from the, um, the Kingdom Hall. I visited the Kingdom Hall and I invited him over so we could have Bible study. And one of the Jehovah Witnesses, he brought his son with him and I asked him to come in. And I had his son sit on the love seat and I had him sit on the love seat. And during our discussion of verses like John 5 and 18, he was saying that the son, Jesus Christ, was less than the father. And that since he was a son, he could not be equal with the father. And I asked him a question. I said, sir, when I invited you into my home, did I say, here, let me get a leash and let me put it around your son's neck and we'll leave him outside because I don't allow animals into the in my home I said I didn't do that since you're a human being and you have a human son you and your son are of the same quality he's not a dog he's not a pet he's not an animal so he has the same equal rights of humanity just like you do if you had a horse or if you had some animal with you, I would say, well, okay, well, we'll tie that animal up outside because they're not of the same essence, quality, or substance as you. I know that you all get the point. The point is, is that every human son is made of the same thing as the father. They're human. A human being cannot have anything or produce anything that's less than human. If God the Father is deity in God, then the Son is also God. That's all that God can produce is God. We look at Revelation 1, 7 and 8. It says, He is coming in the clouds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end, says the Lord God. He who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. See, the Watchtower lied in this publication. There's a publication called Should You Believe in the Trinity, which came out in 1989. I have that original document here in my home. They state on page 13, Jesus has never called the Almighty. But when you read Matthew 24, 30, it is evident that that the one that's coming in the clouds in Revelation 1, 7 and 8 is Jesus the Almighty. It must also be noted that Isaiah 44 and 6 says that only Jehovah is the first and last, the Alpha and Omega. So Jesus claimed that the he claimed that same title in Revelation 1 and 7 as well. Either we have a mighty contradiction 
and we know there are no contradictions in the word of God or we just have an affirmation that Jesus Christ is the first and the last he is the one that came to life died and came back to life see Isaiah 7 and 14 tells us something that's very powerful and important as well what does it say it says that Jesus was the uh, it says that a virgin shall bear and conceive a son and his name shall be called what Emmanuel well, Matthew 1, and 23 says, when Jesus was born, it occurred to fulfill the prophecy. What prophecy? The one in Isaiah 7 and 14, where it says, his name shall be called Emmanuel. And then when we read what the Bible says, it says in Matthew 23, 1, 1, Matthew 1, through 23, it says, Emmanuel means God, not son of God. Not a God, not a lesser God, not the Archangel Michael, but God with us. Mm-hmm. True on that for a minute. And likewise, in Isaiah 9 and 6, it informs us that the attributes and identification of Jesus Christ, it reads, unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. See, the Watchtower has danced around this passage in a way that would rival Bojangles. The Watchtower claims that this verse only confirms their view that Jesus is not God Almighty. But just as um, he's just a mighty God. Herein is the problem with that construct. The Watchtower, in their effort to deny the Trinity and Christ's deity, teach that there is more than one God. This is so contrary to everything that Christians have read in Scripture. There is only one God, according to Isaiah 44 and 6. So the Watchtower survival is conditioned on biblical credibility of its adherents. If Jehovah Witnesses only studied a reputable Bible for themselves, then they would see the error of the watchtower. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 10, verse 20 through 21. The Bible says, Jehovah was the mighty God. See, we at Truth Matters must ask Jehovah Witnesses a very serious question. Is Jehovah the only true God? We are certain that the answer is yes. Since Isaiah 9 and 6 teaches that Jesus is the mighty God, Read, read Jeremiah 32 and 18. Read it. The text tells us that the true God, the great God, is the mighty one, the mighty God, Jehovah of armies. So this is so clear. Jehovah is called the mighty God. Jesus is called the mighty God. So Jesus is the true God. We have also noted that Jesus is called the Almighty God in Revelation 1 and 7, in Revelation 1 and 17. So there is no degrading of Christ as to his nature or his essence or his substance. I love 1 Timothy 3.16. It says, great is the mystery. He, God, was manifest or seen in the flesh. Who was? God was. No, just the Son of God. No, it says God was manifest or seen in the flesh. God was seen in the flesh? What else did he do? He preached among the nations. 
he was believed on in the world and taken up into glory. Well, we thought Jesus was the one that was preached in the world and was believed on in the world and was taken up into glory. You're right, because Jesus is God who was manifest in the flesh. And this great mystery, the watchtower, has denied. But even though they may not be able to totally comprehend it, the apprehension and the revelation of this mystery is clearly spelled out in scripture. First Timothy 1 verse 16 and 17 informs us that by believing on Jesus Christ, one can obtain eternal life because Jesus is the King eternal. Jesus is what? The King eternal, incorruptible, immortal, invisible, the only God. Who is the only God? Jesus. The King Eternal is incorruptible, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor forever and ever. Thank you, Lord God, that you are the King Eternal, the only God, because there's only one God. The Watchtower claims that the King Eternal is Jehovah, of course. However, the context of both passages are speaking about Christ. This is confirmed in Revelation 19 and 16. It tells us that Jesus is the King of Kings. This next verse is so important for us to really understand and to be able to see why the Watchtower is so full of darkness because they deny this scripture. Titus 2 and 13 testifies that we are awaiting for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Read that again, Pastor Adams. We are awaiting for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, here Jesus is called the great God and Savior. But the watchtower, in order to change the scripture and to adopt it and morph it and to sabotage the text to fit their teachings, they evade that by saying the one coming is Jesus, by suggesting that two are coming. The Father Jehovah and Jesus are coming. But I want y'all to write this down. If you ever wanna take notes on something, take this note. This is refuted by a rule of grammar that's called the Granville Sharp Rule. The Granville Sharp Rule. What is the Granville Sharp Rule? This rule insists that two singular personal pronouns that are connected by the word and uniformly means that both of those nouns refer to the same person. Make it clear, Pastor Adams. Well, when you have those two pronouns, one of the pronouns is God and the next pronoun is Savior. Whenever they're connected by the word and, it's only talking about one person. So when this verse says the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's not talking about two people. It always refer to one person. Granville states there is no exception in the New Testament. Matthew 24, 30, Revelation 1 and 7 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 are also perfect examples of how this rule is never compromised. Acts 20 and 28 proclaims 
It says, take care of the church of God, which he himself, God, purchased with his own blood. Wait, God purchased with his own blood? I thought Jesus purchased it with his own blood. Exactly. Because when it says in Acts 20, 28, take care of the church of God, which he himself purchased with his own blood. Here, Paul affirms that God purchased the church with his own blood. The New World Translation changed the verse and added the word son to strip Christ of his deity. But once again, remember, they have no Greek scholars. Another powerful text that we cannot overlook is Micah 5 and 2. This is a prophecy about the coming Savior. Listen to what it says. It says, Thou Bethlehem Ephratath. You are little among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall come the Deliverer, the ruler of Israel. Well, tell us about him. What's his attributes? How do we identify him? Okay, Micah says, whose goings forth have been from old, ancient of days, from everlasting, from eternity. So you're telling me that the ruler of Israel who's going to be born in Bethlehem, who we know as Jesus Christ, has been here from ancient of days, from everlasting, from eternity. The only person who's been here throughout eternity is God. You're saying that that baby that was born in Bethlehem was God, who transcended time, who was the first uncaused cause, the ancient of days, the beginning and the end, the Lord of Lords, the creator of everything, the King eternal. Yes and amen. Zechariah 12 and 10 reminds us that Jehovah, the creator of the world, he said, that he was going to be hung on a cross and he was going to be pierced in his side. What did you say, Pastor Adams? Yes, there was a prophecy where Jehovah was speaking, the creator of the world, Jehovah was speaking. In Zechariah 12 and 10, he said, I am going to be pierced in my side on a cross. We see the Trinity is so clearly understood in Genesis 1 and 26. It shouts out, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image and our likeness. See, this is even properly translated in the New World Translation. Only God has creative ability. The us didn't include angels, for they are created beings themselves. There are only two categories, creator and creation. The only possible conclusion to apprehend is this. The one God is plurality. The term Elohim, it means plurality. If this is not the case, why didn't the passage just read, let me make man in my image? And then to give a second testimony, the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Genesis 11 and 7 says, let us go down and confound their language. Once again, 
the plurality yet oneness of God is seen in this text. This is an affirmation that the same creator in Genesis 1 and 26 is operating in his plurality concerning the affairs of his creation. If not for the watchtower deception, this could not be missed. Now let's look at Genesis 18. It gives us something that's very important. And it gives us an account in scripture as to the marvelous truth of God's unity, his oneness, along with his plurality. Allow me to expound on the chapter. Abraham was a, around 100 years old. Along with his barren wife, Sarah, they resided by the plains of Mamre. God approached Abraham in his tent, but he appeared as three men. What did you say? God approached Abraham's tent, but he appeared as three men. Abraham recognized correctly that three, three men were the one God. How do we know that? because he bowed down to the ground and he worshiped and he called him my Lord or God, singular. Don't pass by your servant. Abraham goes on to say, wash your feet, rest yourselves, plural. Refresh and sustain your hearts, plural, before you go any further, for that is why you have come to your servant. Abraham was not mistaken or committing blasphemy. For he saw what Genesis 1 and 26, Genesis 11, 7 reveal, that God is an us. And the us came and visited the father of faith, Abraham. We see that the patriarch Abraham worshiped and served the three persons that are the one God. I think it would be appropriate to understand something right now about God's nature. He is three who's and one what. See, we at Truth Matters find another definitive truth in the chapter of Genesis. The axiom of the one being three is solidly established. The eighth and the ninth verses speak of the three eating and making inquiries about Sarah and her bearersness. The sixteenth verse speaks of the three looking and walking towards Sodom. Chapter 19 speaks of the two angels arriving in Sodom at Lot's house. Verse 24 reads in the New World Translation, Jehovah on the earth made it rain, sulfur and fire from Jehovah from the heavens. It must be understood that angels have the ability to appear as men. So certainly God can appear as angels or men. See, to shed light on the biblical principle, Genesis 32, verse 23 through 32, gives us the graphic account of Jacob being confronted by a man, which wrestled with him all night. Y'all know the story. The man changed Jacob's name to Israel. And when Israel asked the man his name, the man described as an angel declined to answer. So Israel or Jacob called the place Peniel, for he saw God face to face it is vividly apparent that God in the appearance of a man wrestled with Jacob and was described as an angel so when looking at Genesis chapter 18 and 19 we must see the interchangeable manifestations of God we see that during Christ's resurrection Luke gives an account of men standing in the tomb Matthew says that the two were one great angel. Mark says that one man was standing there. Were they confused? Or is it consistent that angels can appear as men?
Therefore, God can easily appear as a man or an angel. Listen to Hebrews 13 and 2. It says, Be careful to entertain strangers or men, for we are unknowingly could be confronting an angel appearing as a man. So, in summation, Genesis chapter 18 and 19, we must glean the facts that the only persons who are worthy of worship is God. Abraham fell before the three men. Lot fell before the two angels. And they never resisted adoration, reverence, or being called Lord or Jehovah. God appearing as men or angels would naturally accept worship or adoration. When men fell before natural angels, not God appearing as an angel, they instructed men to stop and, and reiterated the fact that only God is to be worshipped. You can read that in Revelation 19 and 10. We see where John made an error for, of worshiping what, what John thought was God. The angel said, get up. I'm just a servant just like you and the other Christians. Then the angel says, only worship God. In other instances where men fell before angels, the act was overpowering presence accompanied by trembling and fear or weakness, not reverence, adoration or worship. So we thank God today for you joining our Truth Matters podcast and our intent and desire is to make sure that we give you relevant and instruction and um, equipping you that you might be able to share these truths with those who have been blinded and have been deceived by Watchtower Theology. We want you to pray for us that we will be bold and that we will be vigilant in standing up for the truth of God's word. God bless you in Jesus name. Amen.